The Old Testament lesson, as I mentioned earlier, is the 115th Psalm. <coughs> not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory, for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their gods are their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. The word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be acceptable to you, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. This psalm begins with a statement that at one uh, time seems like we're in one sense doesn't seem like it relates to the rest of the psalm but actually actually provides the framework within which the psalm i think is best understood and that statement is this the verse the very first verse reads not to us o lord not to us but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness and then uh, there's a transition and we see there in the Second verse, a rhetorical question. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Where is their God? Literally meaning, you know, where is he? I don't see him. And the psalmist, in response, uh, has some things to say. But the first thing he has to say is, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols... So now he transitions in a kind of mocking tone, and I tried to bring that across or convey that as I read it earlier. But let me read it again, and if it doesn't sound as mocking as uh, it should be, uh, sound, just kind of add to the sense of mockery <laughs> as you hear me read it. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. In other words, what help can you find in these dead objects? And then 
we're told, those who make them become like them, and so do those who trust in them. Now, as a Christian, I'm pretty confident that you already know that idolatry is prohibited. It's forbidden in the Ten Commandments, the Second Commandment. We're told that uh, this is something that we're not permitted to do, make idols. I'd like to reflect on that with you a little bit. Just what is the big deal with the idolatry stuff? I think when you think about it, you can see that the problem is fraud. Fraud at a number of different levels. Um, first, what is idolatry attempting to achieve? Often, it's an attempt to capture and control spiritual realities, spiritual beings. And in this sense, uh, if we reflect on it, and this is something the Apostle Paul does uh, for us, we can see that it, in one sense, it's, it's a failure, that, that there's really nothing that uh, actually occurs along the lines of what people had hoped would happen. Uh, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. There in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the Apostle Paul is talking to the Corinthians about idolatry. Particularly, he's talking to them about food sacrificed to idols and whether or not Christians should abstain from eating that food or not. He says there in an offhanded way, and by the way, some of the best stuff in the Bible is said in an offhanded way. Have you noticed this? There's stuff that's stated, or things that are said, that more or less kind of are said in such a way that imply that you already know this. But as, you know, 21st century people, we say, I didn't know that. <laughs> this is one of those instances where we're told something that people know. Uh, he's reminding them of this. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence. An idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. For although they, there may be so-called gods in heaven and on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, and he, you know, the, the rendition, the, the English uh, translation has quotes around God and lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So, in one sense, there's nothing to this stuff. There's nothing to the idols yet. So, as I noted, in one sense they fail, but in an odd way they also succeed, but in a way that they don't anticipate. Um, beware of what you uh, hope for, because sometimes you'll get it, and that's what we see here with this next passage. This is just uh, two chapters over in chapter 10. So this is, again, 1 Corinthians. And there uh, we see, beginning in verse 18, the Apostle Paul, again, reflecting on the nature of idolatry, "'Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar?' He's referring, of course, to the sacrifices made to the true God. "'What do I imply, then, that food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything?' No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to be uh, participants with demons. So there is the prospect of a spiritual reality that, I that idols are connected with, but that's not what the idols present themselves to their worshipers as. 
Uh, they present themselves to worshipers as representations of a God. And if there is something to it, and Paul says sometimes or implies that at least sometimes that there is something to it, it's not what they thought. They're getting something else. They're getting something malicious, a spiritual reality that if they were fully aware of its nature, they would flee from. So idols are forbidden uh, because of this tendency to be used fraudulently. But uh, idolatry is also forbidden as, it re, uh, as pertains to uh, the worship of the true God. Uh, we're told uh, in the second commandment that idols are forbidden even if they are ostensibly made in the, in the, uh, with the purpose of worshiping the true God. And the reason, or one of the reasons historically uh, for this prohibition as it's been understood by the church and by Israel is that it's impossible to represent the true God who transcends all things and is the maker of all things with any particular thing that can be found in the world. Those representations refer to things that are in the world, but in some sense are limited to the world and can't fully express the reality that the one true God is. The one true God transcends all things. Consequently, any particular thing that's made to serve as his representation in worship in the form of some kind of image is misleading. It's fraudulent. It leaves something out. It leaves the most important thing out, God himself, who transcends all things. Then in the third commandment, we're told what we should focus on and what we should hollow, and it's the name of the Lord. And we're told in the, you know, by, by the Lord, our Lord, uh, in the prayer that he taught us to pray, that we should hollow the name of the Lord, hallowed be thy name. There's a sense in which the name of the Lord is set apart and is special, and for that reason, uh, it's because it actually does serve as a means by which we can call upon the one true God. And there's this marvelous or sort of, I think, intriguing contrast between what can be communicated visually and what can only be communicated orally or vocally. And this also ties into a kind of remarkable dynamic. Are you familiar with the etymology of the word obey? The word obey, in terms of its origin, literally means to sort of attend to or listen. It's like when you say, listen to me, obey me, you're actually saying the same thing twice uh, in the sense that, you know, in terms of the origin of the word, what it was intended to convey. If you really to attend to the Lord's word, you will, because you are hearing the Lord and not just any other person, respond in the way that one should when hearing his maker speak. Anyway, so within the Old Covenant and again in the New Covenant, the emphasis is upon God's word. God's word that is spoken but not seen, heard and believed and obeyed and is the means by which we respond to the work and grace of God in our lives. There's this phrase at the very end of this uh, diatribe in which uh, the psalmist is mocking uh, the people who make idols, the nations who, who uh, can, uh, engage in this practice. Uh, and in verse 8, as I noted before, those who make them become like them, and so do all who trust in them. And there's an important 
I think, truth uh, con conveyed here that works uh, in more than one way. Now, the first uh, way it works is on display here in this passage. Those who make them become like them. In other words, there's a kind of a Medusa effect. You remember the, the myth of Medusa, the, the, the gal with the snake hair? <laughs> you look at her and what happens to you? You turn to stone. You become an inanimate object. You become, well, you die. And in effect, the same thing is true when we engage in idolatry. We become like the things we worship. There's a sense in which whatever we, we uh, declare to be of supreme value, there is an almost intuitive, uh, unconscious, automatic sense in which that reality that we worship takes form in us. We become like what we worship. Now, as Christians, and this is the positive side of this, uh, we anticipate a day when we will be changed and will be changed because we will see Christ. We will see him as he is. In fact, the verse I have in mind is uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, what? We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That vision that transforms is still in the future, something that will occur at some point, an apocalypse. Apocalypse literally means uh, revealing, and there'll be a point in which we will see him as he is, and that vision will actually transform the people who behold. So, what do you want to be like? Do you want to be like stone, inanimate objects, dead things? Or do you want to be like the living God? That's, that's essentially the two cho choices that we have. Now, in this um, psalm, we see a transition um, and the transition uh, begins in verse 9. And what we see on display throughout the rest of the psalm is the many marvelous uh, benefits that we enjoy when we remember the Lord and the Lord remembers us. The importance of memory is underscored in all of this. If you look down at verse 12, you see what I mean. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. If he doesn't remember you, he doesn't bless you. See how that it just sort of uh, follows naturally. Uh, the first thing to do in this particular uh, practice of, of, of remembering is uh, the first thing we need to do is we need to remember some things. We need to remember the Lord. We need to remember to trust in the Lord. Uh, we need to uh, remember, uh, well, let's take a look at it. It's verses 9 through 11. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Now, the three, the three things that are identified here are Israel, the people of God, the house of Aaron, which is the priesthood, and then all who fear the Lord, uh, implying those that have already been identified, but anyone else beyond the bounds who fear the Lord. In other words, uh, the, the God that we serve is the God of all 
creation, and uh, it's possible for us to fear the Lord and find our help in Him. And this is what follows, as I noted. Uh, the reason why we should trust in the Lord is this. He is uh, their help and shield. I don't know how often it is uh, during the course of the day that you feel like you could need some help, but I'm regularly reminded of my need for help. Usually when it comes to matters they have zero control over. And it's at those moments that I, you know, ask the Lord for help. Now maybe it would be smarter to just ask the Lord for help all the time because, you know, in fact, I'm pretty much helpless all the time without the Lord's help. Even my physical strength, my ability to sort of think and, and communicate, all of this stuff uh, depends upon the Lord's ongoing care and help in my life on an ongoing basis. You know, so just this week, don't be alarmed, but I mentioned this to the men on uh, Tuesday night. I had this weird episode on Tuesday. I was sitting at my desk working on some, some documents, and suddenly I couldn't see out of one eye. It was like a, a spot, a blind spot. Uh, and I stayed calm. Uh, I tried to figure out how I could continue to read out of the corner of my eye, past the blind spot. Uh, and I thought to myself at that moment, man, this would be a real problem <laughs> if I lost my sight. I depend on it for so much in the nature of my work, just my ability to, well, I, I'm a visual artist for one thing, it'd be awfully hard to continue doing that. Uh, but just preparing for sermons, reading books, so on and so forth, it would be laborious to have to learn Braille, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, rely on tapes, recorded books, I'm glad that those are available, but I don't like them. But, you know, I prayed, oh Lord, <laughs> uh, may this not be an ongoing problem. And within about 10 minutes, it was gone. Now, maybe next week, when I come back to you, I'm totally blind. <laughs> uh, anyway, so what I'm getting at is that I need the Lord's ongoing support in ways that I take for granted. I rely on the Lord's blessing to be able to see on an ongoing basis, and so do you. We need the Lord uh, even when we don't think we do. So uh, we should trust in, uh, in the Lord and seek for His help. Uh, now, one of the things that, of course, this reference to a shield implies is that we have some folks who are out to get us. You don't need a shield if there aren't things out to get you. Now, you know, you can have the challenge that I just mentioned a moment ago with some kind of physical problem that you need uh, some help to, to, to uh, recover from. But this is, I think, uh, not limited to just physical problems. This is obviously a reference to the fact that there are, well, creatures, uh, both human and otherwise, which are at times out to get us. And in the course of our lives, uh, one of the things we need help with is courage. Have you ever thought about source, you know, what it comes to, you know, what is the source of uh, your courage? There's a marvelous word that sometimes we use uh, without thinking about what it necessarily implies, and it's the word encourage. Like when we think about being an encouragement, what does that usually bring to mind for you or me? It means, you know, going to somebody and saying, hey, great job, or you're looking good today, right? We think of that as in encouraging, and it is. I'm not against people doing that at all, but I think in some sense it loses the power 
of what is actually being stated when we use the word encouragement. We, we should be people who help uh, each other by encouraging, sort of giving each other uh, what we need to, to live courageously because we live in a world that, as I've been trying to imply, uh, is full of things that are out to get us. When we think about you know, the traditional Christian triad of things to renounce, the world, the flesh, and the devil, uh, the first thing when we talk about the flesh is that inner traitor. You take with you every day, wherever you go, an inner traitor. And you have to, you have to subdue that inner traitor on a daily basis because it's out to get you. The world, we live in a world where all kinds of stuff is you know, said, all images are being produced that are all intended to in some way ensnare us. Now, the people who create these words or make these, these you know, statements and create these images don't necessarily think of themselves as trying to ensnare the soul. They're just trying to ensnare your, your pocketbook most of the time. But nevertheless, uh, what they do does ensnare the soul if you let it. So this world that we dwell in is characterized by that danger. And to make matters worse, there really is a malicious intelligence that's a lot smarter than you or me who's out to get us. Flaming darts, we're told about flaming darts there in, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse uh, 12, uh, that are obviously launched by some diabolical, and by the way, the word diabolos uh, literally means to, to hurl a object at someone, dia through them, Balo ballistics, that's where we get the term ballistic. <laughs> so we live in a world where we need a shield. Even if we don't feel like we need a shield, we need a shield and the Lord is our shield and we should trust in him. And trust is a source of encouragement and strength. If you really do trust the Lord, now there are a couple of ways that sometimes people try to work up courage. One of those ways is, you know, by you know, having a positive mental attitude. Happy talk to, the, you know, to yourself. You can do it! You can do it! You know, that kind of thing. Kind of the little engine that could kind of uh, school of thought. You know, and that's fine. I'm not against that. But, but really, uh, is that what we need? You know, just positive vibes? Or do we need a God who sits in heaven overseeing the affairs of human beings coming to our, to our aid and helping us and shielding us. I think that's what we really need, and I think we all know it. And when you do trust in the Lord, you can go into situations that uh, are hostile, and I'm not just talking about uh, hostile in the, the, the way that I was talking about earlier, but actually intentionally designed to harm you, and I've been in a few of those. But if you have faith in the Lord, you trust the Lord, uh, you can find courage by that trust or through that trust that you can, you, can, you can enjoy a measure of courage that you couldn't work up for yourself. Think about like Stonewall Jackson. Some of you are familiar with the fact that Stonewall Jackson was a pretty courageous guy. He was also a Presbyterian and uh, when people saw him in battle, uh, they were impressed by the fact that he sat up tall and straight in his uh, saddle 
and uh, almost seemed like he was inviting people to shoot him. And people wondered at the sort of the quirky, and he was a quirky guy, <laughs> and the, the quirky confidence that he possessed. And he was asked about it one time, and he said, God has essentially, this is the Wiley paraphrase, already ordained the hour of my death. There's nothing that's going to happen that God hasn't already ordained. And so consequently, when it's my time to die, I die. Until then, I'm not going to behave as though I'm afraid to die, implying that he had a Savior that he trusted all, all the way through. And that can be true for you and me. Now, we should remember these things because in a very real way, uh, what we want is to be remembered by God. And that, again, is stated quite explicitly in, in this passage. Uh, verse 12, the Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both uh, the small and the great. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. We want to be remembered by the Lord. And then we're told in verse 17, the dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. And then in verse 18, he says, but we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Interesting. Is he contradicting himself? Or is there something subtle but profound being said in, a, in a, an oblique way? One of the reasons I had that passage uh, from Matthew read uh, earlier is we see there in Jesus and his, in his uh, uh, interaction with the Sadducees um, making an argument for the resurrection based on grammar. Did you notice that? It's a very subtle argument. It's an argument based on, on basically on syntax and grammatical structure. What was the, what was the nature of uh, his response when they asked him, you know, you know, the setup, seven brothers, you know, they all die, they all married the same woman, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? Jesus corrects them on the point related to marriage, says, you know, don't need to think about that. But then he makes the argument for the resurrection. He says in verse 31 of chapter 22 in Matthew, And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what it was said to you by God? Quote, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. I am the God, not I was the God. Subtle. But our Lord Jesus said that is a promise, an implicit promise that there is a resurrection. And likewise, we have a, an argument here in verses 17 and 18 that's grammatical in character. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence, but we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From this time forth and forevermore. How could that be? The resurrection. Subtle. Profound. Implicit. Do you have eyes to see, ears to hear 
Or are you like those idols who are dead, who don't see, who don't hear? It's a great promise. But He must remember us. Now, you might say to yourself, well, of course He remembers us. He's God. He knows everything, right? Well, in what sense does He remember you? In what sense? You recall that when the Lord was on the cross, there were a couple of thieves, one who mocked Him and another who said, remember me, speaking to Jesus. They're all dying. They're all dying. But the thief who is repentant says, remember me. And in so doing, implies that he believes in the resurrection and he believes that Jesus will rise. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what did Jesus say? Today you will be with me in paradise. There's another side to this too, though. There's that episode in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7 where Jesus is talking about the last judgment, right? And he says, there are going to be a lot of people who come to me and say, Lord, Lord. And he'll say, who are you? Who are you? Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Sure, I know your name. But I don't know you. And you don't know me. That's the person who doesn't get remembered. You want to be remembered, don't you? <laughs> I know I want to be remembered. I want to be blessed by the Lord because when He remembers you and He remembers me, we're blessed. He will remember us, but first we need to remember Him. Now, I'm not talking in terms of the working of God's Spirit in our lives. Of course, we love Him because He first loved us. We hear the gospel and respond to it. But you know what I'm getting at. We need to remember Him in the course of our daily lives now, each and every day, trusting in Him to be our shield and our help. And if we remember Him, He'll remember us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to remember all the things You've done for us and the implicit promise of Your help in the future. Help us, Lord, to truly believe that You can raise us from the dead, that we can praise You not just today, but we will praise You from this time forth and forevermore. If You remember us, we pray, Lord, that you will. In Christ's name, amen.